0: Hello, and welcome to the Rising Warrior Podcast. Today, we are talking with Brian Weeks. Brian has been a firefighter for the past 23 years. He is currently the Assistant Fire Chief of Training at Wright-Patterson Air Force Base, a Peer Support Coordinator, and is co-chair for the United States Air Force Fire and Emergency Services Mental Health. Today, we talked with him about what peer support is and how it goes about helping firefighters. For those unaware of what peer support is, peer support is the process by which a trained member of the fire service provides confidential support to another member who is experiencing personal, emotional, or work-related problems while acting as a bridge to outside professional services. We get into what we see, what peer support groups are doing very well, and how we think they can be changed to better help firefighters in the future. If you're a firefighter and you're interested in starting a peer support group in your department, please reach out to Brian or us at The Rising Warrant. If you found any of this episode entertaining, interesting, or valuable, please share this episode so that this information can get into the hands of those who need it. Thank you for listening and enjoy the show. So, Brian, you're, um, you're head of peer support for your fire department or something like that?
1: I am the coordinator for peer support. Coordinator.
0: Could you give us, us and our listeners, a definition of what peer support is for the fire department?
1: So for the fire department, peer support is speaking with um, trained peer support personnel. We have a team. Uh, After a major incident or a traumatic incident or some type of incident or emergency that creates some type of traumatic feelings or triggering points for anybody that's on the crew that responded to that call. And as a peer supporter, it's that initial contact inside the fire station, somebody to talk to immediately. Uh, It's very helpful, especially at 2 a.m. because typically The only place mental health is open at is an ER. And most first responders do not want to go to the ER, especially for mental health. Um, And after speaking with an individual as a peer supporter, if they need additional help or they feel that they want to talk to somebody, the peer supporter puts them in contact with a clinician, um, almost kind of like that go in between. so that we can get them to the proper people for what they're dealing with.
0: Why don't most firefighters want to go to the ER for mental health, in your opinion?
1: Um, In my opinion, most of us don't want to go because uh, we take people to the ER. So if we're going to the ER, it's going to be pretty significant. And a lot of times there's not a lot of um separation with mm. the first responder versus the people that we may have taken in before so mm. um it's that almost I'm um, for me personally it's like well i've taken this patient in before and now they see me in here struggling mentally mm. so does that really make me a good provider in the field mm. So we have a couple hospitals in our local area that we actually have a agreement with them. If we go in as a peer supporter, if I take an individual in, they take them straight to the back, bypass everybody in the ER, mental Mm -hmm. health, get seen immediately um, to kind of assist with getting them the uh, support and assistance that they need at the time, speaking with a clinician, especially if it's a significant event.
2: Okay. Yeah, that's super interesting. What um, what what drew you into it, Brian? Like, what what was it that for you personally, um, to support to support in the peer support as a leader in the program? <laughs> There's a lot of peers and supports in there.
1: Um, <laughs> one of the things that we we've kind of always done peer support, but mm-hmm. we didn't really have formal training in 2018. Um, there was about 25 to 30 of us in the department that attended the uh, peer support program that was um, came. the IFF, which is the International Association of Firefighters came in and taught the course. And as they're teaching this course, that was kind of how do you talk to your fellow fellow brother and sister first responders? Um, And it was a good course for identifying and seeing that there is an issue and maybe that somebody needs to talk but uh, there really wasn't um, additional follow-on. Uh, they made it sound like, oh, you look like you have a drinking problem. Let's go to the hospital. And the scenario, the guy's like, okay, thanks. And that's not how it works. <laughs> a lot of times with a first responder, I'm, I personally, I know what to say and what not to say for people to think that I'm in crisis. Mm-hmm. So being trained to that level and understanding being a paramedic if I say these buzzwords, they're going to make me go to the ER. But if I don't use those words, then I'll be good and we're just going to talk.
2: Oh, I really like that you brought that up. We, we love to talk about language in our program. And one of the things I noticed with uh, you as you were saying that was you learned the language of that system and now you're using it to navigate around it.
0: Like, right. you literally,
2: like, firefighters are use, literally using their own system to put up walls to not allow other people to see them in that scenario that you were just describing. Yep. Um, when, you so, when you started seeing those connections, right? There's not a lot of training. Um, you can tell when they're using that language, and you're like, hold on a second. These guys, I know what they're doing. They're not being honest. Something's wrong here. But I don't know exactly what it is what what was it or what happened at when you started seeing those patterns in your in your peer support group and what did you do to bring those those we like to call calling people forward not calling people out right yeah calling them forward to actually get help what, what was your decision there and what did you do um so
1: I think that for me personally I, I have done this before but I learned it through the program is vulnerability creates vulnerability so as i was teaching um ems well-being for the first responder during a paramedic refresher course uh, i stood up in front of 20 paramedics and told my story and what was going on with me and how i was struggling and after i did that i had more and more people start to talk to me more openly so mm. it was almost uh, it was, uh, I'd say probably six to eight months after the taking the course that I did this uh, training or taught this training. And it was almost instant. People were like, Hey, can I talk to you for a minute? Um, and I didn't know what that was until going through the program. And then I was like, Oh, well, wow. There's a lot of people coming to me now. And then it almost got overwhelming that I had all these people coming to me. Um, (laughs) which in peer support, it's called compassion fatigue, where you start dealing with all these individuals that are having problems and, or issues that they're struggling with. And it could be personal life. It could be on a call. It could be on the job. It could be what's going on in the world or in the country. Um, you just never know what you're going to talk about. So, um, being able to recognize that somebody might want to talk is approaching them and saying, Hey, you know, I noticed that." Things are kind of off lately. Do you want to talk for a little bit or do you need to talk? And a lot of times it's, sure, you got a minute. And mm. uh, on occasion, it's uh, kind of that, no, I'm good. I'm good. Or I'm fine.
3: Mm-hmm. Um,
1: good and fine. We all pretty much know what that means. Right. Uh, but we don't want to force them because if you try to force somebody to talk, they're not mm-hmm. going to talk to you. So they got to be open to talking with you about it. And once they start talking, um, part of the peer support program teaches you active listening and being able to uh, acknowledge what they're saying to you and to listen to what they're saying. Uh, What I like to do is, uh, do do you want me to um, put stuff out there and kind of give my opinion or do you just need to vent? Uh, I use the word vent um, instead of using bitching or complaining because uh, venting sounds a lot better and it's a firefighter term. So um, yeah, (laughs) a lot of smoke inside the house. So we ventilate and Mm -hmm. that releases that. So if you need to talk about something, you're venting that. And uh, a lot of times you get a better response using that term versus saying, what do you get a bitch about now? Or what's your complaint? Yeah, yeah, yeah. A lot of people, a lot of people don't want, especially with the stigma is they don't want to be I'm whining about this, or, um, this is an issue or so-and-so wouldn't let me ride in the position that I want. Um, so it's kind of looking at it from that
2: perspective. That is awesome. You said a a couple of things there that really struck me. Um, you, you having done our program, you turned vulnerability into a, a power of yours, like your ability to share what you were going through. Let it literally was like a switch as, at least that's what it sounded like when you did that next one.
1: It, it, um, was. it, it was amazing because before that is like, we would come back from a call. And when I was a district chief over at station three, we would all stand in the apparatus bay and we'd throw a football back and forth. And we'd talk about <laughs> the call,
2: not mm. even thinking
1: about we're kind of peer supporting But we're not. Um, So now that we have formal training, uh, that's one of the things is uh, if you can get somebody engaged in something, whether it's washing the truck or it's putting stuff back in service, you're not just sitting there in silence thinking about it. Um, Mm -hmm. They used to use SISM, which is critical incident stress management. They used to put everybody in a room like in a half circle and they would have uh, one person, usually a chief from another department sitting out front and they would ask questions. And one of the things that they're doing studies on, which I haven't seen the results of it, but there's kind of that uh, some people like it, some people don't. One of the things that they are kind of, I guess, entertaining would be If I saw something that Lance didn't see, is Lance starting to beat himself up and say, Well, why didn't I see that? Am I not a good firefighter as weeks or blah, blah, blah. Mm. So we try to get away from that. So when we pull a crew in that was on a, a significant incident, the idea behind it is okay. I'll pull the entire engine crew in and say, hey, this is what happened. This is what I know. If anybody wants to talk individually, we can talk individually. If you guys want to talk in a group, we can talk in a group and kind of make it very informal, um, where before it was super formal. And it was just, okay, I don't know who this chief is from this other department. And now you're asking these questions about a call. And what if I didn't remember a part? Or what if I did? Re- I saw something somebody else didn't see. So, or I just thought in my head, this is what happened, and that didn't happen at all. So a lot of people yeah. would shut down during those meetings.
0: That mm. semicircle with the random chief sitting in the middle sounds intimidating as hell. <laughs>
1: um, it, it can be. And I think it, it really depends on what type of incident it is. Um, mm-hmm. The significant incidents, obviously, are a death, uh, traumatic death, uh, child. Anytime we have a child, we automatically make sure that we have our Mm -hmm. peer support team ready. Um, Or a lot of times we run into overdoses, suicides, and we definitely have our peer support team ready for that.
0: One thing I really like, well, first of all, before I met you, I've never heard of peer support before. And now that I've heard of it, I I love the idea. The whole concept's genius. One thing I really like is what I've picked up talking to you is the idea that most people don't want to go to a structured therapist in a hospital setting. And this peer support setup allows you to not go there right away. Right. Um, A lot of of stuff, traumatic events can be stopped before even going and um, getting into the I'll just say typical medical model. And right. I love it. I think it's a great idea. Um, firefighters, first responders feel safer with their team. Uh, it's the same thing in the military. You're your team, you're, you're fighting next to each other. You're charging into buildings together. They feel safe with each other. Uh, and the whole peer support system is absolute genius. And from my understanding, please correct me if I'm wrong, um not every fire department has something like this
1: correct um there's a lot of departments out there that are starting to um get i, w- I would say more informal training okay um uh, so they're starting to learn about it a little bit but along with being the peer support coordinator at the base i also uh work with a network of fire departments in the Dayton area where they we have all joined together and we have peer support team that can go to other departments as well so what we do is we split it up two months out of two months out of the year we are on call so if a department in the local area whether they're a full-time department or a part-time paper call volunteer department if they have a traumatic incident and they request us then that team that's on call for those two months will respond out there and uh, assist with them and what we found was is that there's a lot of departments out there that they don't necessarily know where to start and Mm. that's the hard part is how do I get involved with this once we go talk to people again it's that vulnerability creates vulnerability I will get up there and I'll say hey I'm Brian Weeks I don't use my rank um And because I, and we don't even go in uniform unless we're on duty. Most of the time we go um, department t-shirt and some jeans or something like that. Summertime shorts to make sure that it is informal because we don't want people to get that uncomfortable feeling. Mm -hmm. And I'll sit up there and say, Hey, this is, you know, we recognize what you guys are dealing with. We might not understand exactly what you're dealing with because of all the things that have compacted over the years, because Um, it's uh, I know that I've used this in the class but I definitely use on one of the other podcasts is the gumdrop jar Um, inside a glass gumdrop jar all the gumdrops are the issues you're dealing with or that you're avoiding
3: Mm -hmm. and
1: then all the void spaces are what everybody else talks about and eventually if you don't have an opportunity to have resiliency, self-care and talk to somebody, then that gumdrop drawer is gonna overflow. And that's when we're more prone to be in crisis mode. And once we get into crisis mode, then it becomes more of a serious matter. Um, All of mental health is a serious matter, but that's where we start to say, okay, we need to take immediate action to make sure that you talk to the right people. So having that, um thought process with it and being able to go to these other departments and help them really helps some of the larger departments um i know columbus and columbus ohio their fire department they actually have clinicians that work for the fire department they're not firefighters but if they have a significant incident they have these clinicians already on call um so that they can talk to a clinician immediately if they want to Hmm. and these clinicians go around to the stations and uh, whether it be monthly or quarterly, and just kind of check in on the firefighters, and which I think is a really good program because I've done a couple of uh, peer support trainings with Columbus, and uh, I, th- I think that's a, a great program. But a lot of there are so many small rural departments out there, it's hard to. I don't know if there's money involved or how it works, but it's hard for some of these smaller departments to say, Oh, I want a clinician and okay (laughs) however many dollars and and they're like "Ooh, okay never mind Um, yeah can we take a guidance counselor from the local school um and (laughs) I'm i'm i say that in a joking way i'm not being mean about it but it's the part of the problem is is that if they don't understand and i think this is why peer supports a really good program if a clinician doesn't understand the type of calls that we go on or having to experience some of the the Traumatic stuff that we've seen. Mm-hmm. It's very hard for me to sit there and talk to somebody and say, "Oh yeah, I saw this the other day," and they're like, "Wow, that's crazy. You guys see that kind of stuff?" Yeah, you're like, "You're not going to tell me anything motivating or like, uh, I'm here for you." It's like, wow. Oh, yeah. that's terrible. I could never do your job. Thanks. <laughs> so th- those type of things and those type of statements, uh, like you said earlier, is the language, sometimes that language, whether it's in context or out of context, especially for a lot of us in that first responder realm, kind of look at that, like, why are you saying it like that? Well, There's a hidden agenda behind it. Whether there is or not, that's just how our minds think, or a lot of our minds think.
2: Yeah, yeah, it seems like um, not having, when someone doesn't have the background And they say something like that it pulls you out of the experience and all of a sudden you don't trust them you you're like ah you might be on the books qualified but you're not you don't know what we're doing here day to day and i i've heard a lot of um veterans first responders mostly veterans from my end but talk about that from their experience like yeah it's fine i can talk and and we talk about it but it doesn't feel like we're meeting each other in the same space right um And you said something that was really powerful uh, as you were describing, um, you know, who has access to this, who doesn't have access to it. Um, And one of the things that seems really evident to me since you did uh, the beta program of of the Rising Warrior, of which I was also a part of, by the way, um, is that you have sought out the tools for yourself to create to be a leader in this space knowing that the real um or what i imagine is the real need is that there are other first responders in the ecosystem of what you guys do not even necessarily you know, somebody in a position of any kind of rank or anything just someone who knows how to speak your language number one back to what you said earlier about like you know how to navigate around that right and number two that there is a level of like, hey, brother, I, I'm, I've been there. I got you. I understand. And number three, the expanding that toolbox just allows you to catch it, and notice it a lot quicker and opens up the doorways for other people to let you in. So you're, it really is. It seems like you are um, creating almost a new way of dealing with mental health completely internally to the fire departments, allowing all you guys to stay within the system until right there's a cap where somebody's just too far, they've, they've stuffed it down too much and they need like a lot of help. And right. at that point, you know, it, it's exceeded your ability to deal with it. Um, what do you think is the percentage of people who, if they were, this is a completely a hypothetical question, but if they were exposed to your peer support program or any other peer support program, where do you think those percentage of incidents would be, uh, with firefighters and first responders after uh, a traumatic event? Like where, the, what's what is it now? Like what's that percentage of people who come, uh, you know, who have issues afterwards? And what would it be if they had closer um, access or more access to peer support? Um, I don't think it really
1: changes as far as how it affects somebody on an incident or after the incident. Okay. Um, I think what changes is the percentage of people that are more openly to come talk to you. Mm. So Mm. I I think that everybody still is, because peer support is still relatively new. I mean, it's 2021 and we did this in 2018, at least for our department. Okay. And in my experience, it's been where um, I have more people that will come talk to our peer support team Than before, where it was, man, why are you so grumpy? Like, what is your deal? Or, um, of course, first responders, a lot of us, especially DOD, are veterans. Um, So we all know that um, that friendly can turn into really harsh banter um, comes into play a lot. So a lot of people were afraid to speak up because of that in the past. Um, I wouldn't even speak up because I was like, oh, I'm not gonna say this is bothering me because I don't want people to think that I can't handle going on the call or um, that I'm messed up in the head or whatever may be going on. It's more of a, uh, yeah, I'll just, I'll deal with it on my own because that's how I've always dealt with it. So looking at, the percentage that come and talk now, it's a lot higher percent. I could legit get a phone call right now that somebody went on a call like three days ago. And, you know, I was just, I, we had an incident where um, it was a, a fatal crash. And two days after it happened, um, one of our paramedics were walking through a store and he said, he just broke down. He mm-hmm. said, he didn't know what's going on, he just broke down left the cart in the aisle and walked outside, got himself um, back together and then picked up the phone and called a peer supporter. Before, I don't see anybody calling anybody to talk because it's just not what we did and it wasn't a program that was in place. So after the program got in place, I think that that percentage is higher. You know what? Maybe I should just call and talk to a peer supporter. Somebody that is gonna keep our conversation confidential, somebody that is not going to run to somebody of rank and say, Hey, this person's having an issue. We need to pull them off a truck. It's more of a, all right, what's the next step? How do we, how do we help you? So, and after I talk to somebody, I usually say, you know, "Um, I'd like to follow up with you. Uh, When would you like me to follow up with you? Giving them that option of when you want to, instead of, calling them or texting them every six hours you know I I think I'm pretty good can you call me in two days sure Mm -hmm. you better make sure you make that call though and if you can't make that call reach out uh, on the coordinator reach out to me and I'll make that call Mm -hmm. and I always whenever I talk to somebody that's having a significant um, event that they're dealing with is I always say you know I might talk to another peer supporter so that I can kind of bounce things off of them is there a specific one that you would like me to speak with or can I talk to this person that way that they know that I'm going to be talking to somebody because again collecting all that stuff I'm not feeling the effects of the call that they went on and I'm feeling the effects of I feel terrible for this person that they're struggling and they're my brother or sister and I'm not with them all the time so how am I supposed to be able to be that person that they lean on if I'm um, not able to gather my own self so if
2: you're not taking care of yourself yeah right and I know
1: that when we did our class of the rising warrior Sean said that you can't fill up anybody else's cup if your cup's empty. And which I thought was a really good way of looking at it. I just, it it makes sense. And almost as super easy, like, why did Mm -hmm. I think of that? Um, But putting it in that perspective, it's like, yeah, it's, I'm taking on all this stuff. How am I really providing you a good service? If I'm circling on my own mind, when realistically, I should probably say, you know what, I'm I'm tapped out right now, but I can provide you with another peer supporter. I think this person will fit. It's
0: called burnout. Mm-hmm. So, so many, unfortunately, so many males reach that once in their life, at least once.
2: Right. Yeah. What was that? What was that term you used earlier when you're compassionate? Compassion fatigue. Yeah. Compassion fatigue plus yeah. burnout is a, it's not a great mix uh, <laughs> for actually being able to support anybody. You're right. going
0: to figure out how your peer support system works because you're going to need it
2: well Um, and then from
1: experience going like you said earlier going to that institutionalized clinician um what i'd always say when we talk about that and the program was uh it's like sitting in the principal's office every (laughs) every single clinician i've ever been to their office looks almost exactly the same i don't know if they have clinicians.com where you buy the, books
0: <laughs> the same office but right? everything looks yep, the same. Yep. Yeah.
1: And then for somebody like me, if you don't have your books in alphabetical order, I'm staring at that. I'm not even, <laughs> I'm not even <laughs> I'm like Wait,
0: why that's the same family photo I, I, I saw at the last <laughs> clinician. Wait a minute.
2: Yeah.
1: It's Is get weird. A Sears photo like it's just the picture <laughs> that comes in the frame. Sears and dot
0: com clinician dot <laughs> com slash clinician. <laughs> um you, you mentioned something earlier about um it'll circle back around to vulnerability, but you, you mentioned people not wanting to speak out, being afraid that hey, I might be viewed different badly and so on and so forth. And I found out very quickly talking to the veteran community that everybody thinks that making a broad generalization. And yes, everybody in the veteran community thinks that they're alone. Nobody else is dealing with what they're dealing with. And after I've talked to hundreds of different veterans, found out that everybody's dealing with the same damn thing. And I imagine it's the same way in the first responder in the fire department. And all it takes is that one person to be vulnerable. It's the icebreaker in a really awkward um, family dinner. You just need one drunk person to break the ice (laughs) and then everything, the floodgates open up. And yeah, I love the, the phrase vulnerability lends to vulnerability. It takes one person to just be vulnerable and accept that, Hey, shit's wrong in my life. And that's okay. Because you know what? You look around everybody, nobody's damn perfect. And if they look perfect, those are the ones that probably got their shit together the least.
2: Um, You're really, really good at hiding it. yeah. Yeah. I, I like, yeah, go ahead. No, go ahead. Finish. I was, I was, I was going to actually caveat on that, uh, Brian, that, uh, what I noticed in this world of veterans, and first responders is, um, there's, there's a, there is this man. I, I love talking about archetypes. It's like, um, there's a warrior archetype that's trying to serve and it, it, it permeates our entire being. It's like, what, like, I mean, I talked to some of these guys. Like, I can't imagine this dude doing anything else. Like, uh, like other than serving in some capacity. Like, that's his passion. Um, and people do it across a, a broad spectrum of things. And what I what I've noticed is that when you give that person that that per, that type of person the permission to be vulnerable, to allow themselves to be like, yeah, sometimes I go to a call and I come back and I don't feel great, I saw something scary, or I, I saw something I didn't know how to deal with, or, you know, for, for military guys, like, on deployment, something happened, or even in your unit, it, it, stateside, like, somebody, you know, we had some pretty traumatic events, some of our guys in our, in our unit, um, and when when those people, when guys in that position and women are given that permission, it's like, it's like a release valve, and they can oh, They can like let their guard down and be like, "Holy shit, woo! Okay, I'm not alone. Damn. Okay, let me take a break." And that Mm -hmm. was—I remember uh, when we did our 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 beta program this summer that you started taking more breaks. Uh, In fact, you got injured and you were like, "Ah, I'm gonna take a couple of days off." Um, And how how has that been uh, for you? Like the ability to say, like, "Oh, I'm actually my cup is actually very." um, it's like half empty. I don't have enough energy right now. I got to take, take my foot off the brake a little bit. So I can come back, uh, to support other people. How has that been for you over the last couple of months?
1: Um, it's been really good for me. Uh, I, I'm able to recognize when I'm getting to that point now where before mm. it was, um, my vice per se would be, Oh, somebody needs help. I'm going to go help them. Um, first responders mm. we're fixers so you give me a problem i'm going to give you a solution and we're going to fix it mm-hmm. we're going to fix it right now because that's what i do on a call mm-hmm. well when you can't do that that makes it really hard but when people are like oh man you really helped me thanks a lot da, 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 da. cool it's almost like an adrenaline rush of being able to help somebody and then when there's nobody to help it's like oh, man Mm. my thoughts what am i supposed to do how am i supposed to do this what am i supposed to say why do i feel like this what's going on and you have this complete like i'm confused i don't know where i'm at as far as in my mental health like what am i supposed to do right now and then oh somebody's got a problem push that stuff to the side yeah Mm -hmm. dopamine rush right and so i was running into that a lot and um found out that it was breaking me down more I just didn't realize it because it was there for like eight months it was back to back to back to back so every time I'd start feeling down boom something else would happen and I'd be like oh and (laughs) yeah and it, 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 it was a relief for me because then it got me out of those thoughts but again I was avoiding what was going on with me so I wasn't able to work on myself I wasn't able to take that break and I wasn't able to start refilling that cup it was more of the I'll just push that to the side I'm not worried about me I can handle this Mm -hmm. I found out I can't handle it um Mm -hmm. and being able to admit that took me a very long time to do it but then once I did it I was like wow and you know the conversations that we had in the program and the conversations that we had on the phone um and keeping in contact uh, we talked the one time and it's we the group that we had is almost reminds me of that camaraderie that we had when i was in marine corps it's mm-hmm. that being able to talk to somebody that totally understands the stuff that we're going through where again i go to the principal's office and they're writing why are you writing that down <laughs> what are you writing down?
0: yeah yeah stop writing that down <laughs> they're like oh
1: interesting observation oh. <laughs> um, yeah. why, why did your number system not make sense to me um so there's all kinds of stuff that was uh, it, i was like over analyzing everything and mm. it, that almost on top of the hyper vigilance was like making it worse where i'm like oh what are you right now why are you doing this and it was uncomfortable i wasn't mm. in that comfortable atmosphere where i felt like i was talking to peers or to friends fellow vets and um, once i started doing that once i started realizing that hey this is working a lot better than what i was doing before it has made it a lot easier for me um especially it was i want to help everybody you got this problem oh yeah come talk to me you got this problem oh yeah come talk to me no we can talk where now it's um hey i got this other peer supporter that you can talk to Mm -hmm. i think it'd be a really good fit especially since i know a lot of people's backgrounds that i work with i can kind of mirror them up with each other so that they're talking to somebody that has things in common versus me that I used to work all the time, multiple jobs, do this, do that, do this, and completely avoid what was going on with me because that's mission. And it's what we talked about before is the military is really good at training you mission, mission, mission. Mm-hmm. It's the other stuff that we never learned how to do. Um, I always learning here's a straw, suck it though up. Um, um yeah that right there is oh okay so i'm not supposed to have these feelings and i'm not supposed to be vulnerable and i'm not supposed to do this so everything that i learned was i wasn't supposed to do that and then that carried on and then all of a sudden it was like wait a second it feels good to tell that story it feels good to have people know that i'm not just an asshole i just been holding in a bunch of stuff all the time. Yeah. And I didn't know, like you said earlier, how to hit that release valve. Mm-hmm. And now that I've hit it, it's, uh, it's okay. I'm a lot more calm, cool, collected. We can have a discussion without me like being like, oh, again, um,
3: <laughs> it's, <laughs> it, it's just,
1: it, it changed my mindset on a lot of things. Um, and like you talked about in the program, Different language, uh, reframing stuff. It's uh, it's good thing I got hurt because now I get to do this. No, I have an opportunity because of the injury, and that just changing that statement was like, wow, that is crazy to me. Mm-hmm. And I got it, and it took a, it didn't take me very long, but I got it. And once I got it, I was like, yes, I want more, I want more, <laughs> more, more, I want more, because. Now it's easier for me, um, not only in my position, but also is just a father, a husband, a friend. It's easier for me to have conversations with people versus before it was, yeah, I'm going to go do this and I'm going to do that just so I don't have to interact with people because every time I interacted with them is, hey, you're a paramedic. So I get this lump on my shoulder. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I, I don't know how to help you with that. I mean, if your arm gets cut yeah. off, I can help you with that, but a lump <laughs>
2: on your shoulder. It's so. cancer. You should get it looked at. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, so um, yeah, go ahead, Rance. you got it.
0: Addiction is can be defined as um, repeatedly doing something and not getting the results that you want. Addiction can be in everything. Usually when people think of addiction, it's drugs, alcohol, you know, it can be anything. It could be working out. It could be fixing other people's problems. And um, men typically are fixers. We love to fix shit. And there's there's two parts to that. Yes, we can be good at something we can be fixing it. Or we could be doing it to run away from something that needs to be addressed, which you already tapped into. Um, Unfortunately, most people don't recognize that. Luckily, you did, which is awesome. Um, John, you were going to dive in there. I just wanted to mention that part of addiction.
2: Yeah, yeah, no, I appreciate that. Yeah, along those lines, um, what areas in your kind of well, let's zoom out a little bit asking you about your actual program right now. Um, what areas you see that can be improved upon your peer support program and then, um, in your particular program and then in your network, what you're seeing out in, in the firefighter, uh, first responder community, where do you see peer support becoming, um, more advanced, bigger, Uh, better trained people, et cetera, et cetera. Like where where are those opportunities for growth in those areas now that you've seen so much incredible value in just a phone call, um, somebody needs support?
1: Um, I think that uh, the program along, our program at our department, along with the network, um, the education, the initial education is done, but continuing education, not so much of repeating the same stuff, But being able to take a class here, take a class there. um, There's a lot of classes that are provided um, that you can take here or there. A lot of it's Zoom because of um, COVID and whatever money issues, whatever it may be, Zoom's an easy way of doing it. Um, But I think the it's finding those new ways of talking to people and being able to figure out, Hey, I can active listen all day long. Hey, let's go to the hospital. No. Oh, no. What do I do? Um, so it's the education. It's, what do I do next or how do I make this better? And when I say that education, that kind of runs into both of it is how can we make this better? What can, increase the value of this program by saying um hey we have a peer support team oh cool i'd really like to talk to somebody or what's peer support um and i think that that education not only for the peer supporters but also for the departments so that they understand there are teams out there that um, do have training and are valuable for people to talk to and kind of just like i said vent and There are clinicians that we have vetted that we work with in our network that we can say, okay, I have this clinician, go ahead and give him or her a call. Um, And if they can't take you on, they have somebody that they know that they'll recommend versus dealing with Google and saying, "Um, this person, first responder, veteran, PTSD, traumatic, oh this person looks cool they got a really cool name um and and that's kind of that's kind of where it happened before it was like how do i find somebody Mm -hmm. and then it's the the thing that i would really like to see is that there's a that um in network out of network insurance for paying for first responders to get mental health Mm
3: -hmm. treatment
1: it's oh we don't take your insurance Okay, so what do you want me to do? Will you find somebody that takes your insurance? No, if, you, if a first responder is reaching out, especially nowadays, it means they're already get teetering on that crisis mode. Yeah. They need to talk to somebody. Mm-hmm. So for somebody, especially some of these volunteer departments, I work with people in my part-time department that they work three or four part-time fire departments just so they can make it by or they can pay their rent or their car payment or whatever it may be. So you have somebody like that, they probably don't have full-time health insurance, or if they do, it probably doesn't take this network of this really good clinician. So now we're going to go to the principal's office and we're going to sit in there and they're not going to know how to talk to that individual.
3: Mm-hmm. So
1: that, that is what I would like to see is, uh, uh that having that, um, kind of bridge of saying you know what let's do like five six sessions and kind of get you um, to down regulate a little bit and then figure out where we're going to go from there I mean most first responders they have no problem cutting grass most of them own lawn businesses on their off time Um, a lot of them do (laughs) construction a lot of them do this stuff (laughs) hey I need a deck belt cool come on in you can talk to me something like that. But right. that, that, that is, I think my biggest um, heartburn with the whole thing with the first responders is it's not readily available. Like what I would like to see it.
0: It's really a shame because investment in something like that invest investment in peer support and investment in continuing education of peer support is going to save lives. Most everything, yes, you do with firefighters is going to save lives in one way or another. And I I, I see this as a, an investment in, first of all, yes, the lives of firefighters. And the, you can turn around and work with this for um, patients you come across if you're riding an ambulance or so on and so forth. Um, it's sad to know that there isn't more continuing education for stuff like this and the continue education that I've looked up. And then you and I, Brian, have talked about um, some, of most of it that I've seen is junk. And they, they talk about the statistics of suicide. Like I don't give a fuck about the statistics of suicide. Right. Like like, I want to get it. 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 It's
2: very high. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. yeah,
1: Thanks. We get it. Thank you. Um, Appreciate it. Yeah. And somebody's got a PhD to say that. (laughs) Exactly. Yeah, uh,
2: I, I, yeah say I, mean,
0: this, I say this quite a lot. Um, the people that I've learned the most from don't have pieces of paper to uh, establish who they are and what the fuck they've done. They don't have PhDs and whatnot. Um,
1: so there's experiences.
0: Experiences. Personal experiences, usually.
2: Right. Yeah, yeah. and then the ability to actually articulate it. Be like, mm-hmm. this is what that was, this is how this happened. I mean, you just did that, Brian. You showed... For anybody listening um, who is a first responder or, or or veteran, like Brian has lived it. He's doing it. He did it for like, – how long did you do it before um, – how long were you in the military then as a firefighter before you started realizing that that wasn't working? Like the model of not being vulnerable and completely <laughs> stuffing it down. So
1: I became a firefighter in 1998. Right. I was in the Marine Corps 9903. I was a firefighter in the Marine Corps. right? And I was a firefighter. I got out. And five days later, I started as a civilian firefighter. And it was 2018 before
2: I said I need to talk to somebody. So, yeah. So, so for anybody listening, you can cut that time short. (laughs) You can cut it down to, like, right now. Please do. Please do. Please. Because... You know, I, I, what I've noticed is uh, in my own life, as I'm able to resource myself and look back and be like, okay, let me take a second, fill my cup up so I can actually serve other people. It's like an immediate translation to more service. Like I can actually give more when I take care of myself. And I'm actually able to hold more too. Like mm-hmm. my capacity is bigger. I, like I, you, I imagine you now can deal with catastrophic things and be like, okay, breathe see how we can support people in this moment.
1: I I think that that has made a huge impact on me is being able to, one, recognize. Um, It took a lot for me to say, hey, I need help. Uh, But then after going and starting seeking treatment, it was the additional classes and trainings. And um, I told Lance, I told Sean during the phone calls, like, the trainings I've taken, they were good trainings. Um, I don't want to take anything away from those, but stepping into that rising warrior program, that was a game changer for me because it, when I talk about it and I've, I've heard this many times from multiple people, not just Lance and Sean, my excitement level starts to increase <laughs> because it. To me, it's, it, it was such a benefit because it was, taking things that I know and things that I understand and almost just changing one or two little things. And Holy cow, that makes so much sense to me. Mm -hmm. Like, why did I not look at it like that? And again, that goes back to the, if you're thinking too much, you're overthinking and whatever, whatever the saying you were, or this little saying you used to say, um, Looking at it from that perspective is well, why am I overthinking this when realistically I just need to simplify this and figure out what that root cause is and go that direction? And to me, it's like wow, that makes sense. Why was I trying to um, make this way more difficult than what it actually is? And that, me personally, I, I feel like. After taking the program, is I was making things more difficult for myself because instead of just looking at what the cause was, I was thinking it's got to be this, it's got to be this, it's got to be this. Oh wait, it was this. Um, you and
0: everybody else. Um, <laughs> it's, it's,
1: for me, it, again, that was that was like a a eye opening for me because I was like, wow, and. Of course, the excitement, I still get the excitement. You can see where I started talking right there. I was like getting all um, going through the program and being able to talk to you guys and having that feeling of camaraderie and then being able to take the stuff that we discussed in our sessions and the next day walk into the fire station and talk about the stuff that I learned. And people were like, oh, what'd you learn this week? it it was (laughs) you had an audience (laughs) and it 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 was it was amazing on how many people are like wow that that just makes so much sense so being able to take that and discuss some of the things and put it into that perspective and change that language and just understanding that hey a lot of these sorry dog are barking a lot of the things that we sit there and make very complicated doesn't have to be complicated. And sometimes it's sitting around the kitchen table and talking about it.
0: Mm -hmm. One of my friends, his phrase is underthink it. And I, I say that to myself all the time. Most of the time I'm overthinking every situation in my life and it's not as complicated as I make it out to be. And when I stop underthinking, like oh yeah, it's really quite simple. I don't know why it's human nature, um, and most of the people I run into, it's just human nature for them.
1: It's probably Common Core math. (laughs) (laughs)
0: Let's blame it on the current school system.
1: (laughs) It's it's because I got a twenty-three year old that doesn't know how to (laughs) recursive.
3: No, it's, oh, yeah.
1: it, uh, it, I, I really think that a lot of it has to do with is, um, because that is what we're taught growing up is mm-hmm. looking at, I mean, math is math, Put, putting words in it. You're making it more difficult. You're overcomplicating it. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I had to learn all this crazy math growing up and, oh, you got to learn this for you to give medications in the back of the medic. Yeah, our protocol does all the math for me. All I got to do is draw it up in syringe and push it and make sure it's the right drug. So, uh, they overcomplicate everything. Um, and I think that because we learn like that growing up, we're automatically starting to do that. And that's where we typically go because that's what we were taught growing up.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Brian, yeah. I, your instance uh, when you broke your arm,
2: mm-hmm.
0: I love it. Well, he, when it happened, you sent me pictures. I was like, oh God, what the fuck? Uh, and then you um, <laughs> ended up texting me and you told me about how you responded to the whole situation and how everybody responded to your response to the situation. Yeah. Would you mind telling that story? Sure. Good because um, if you said no, I wouldn't know what to do anymore. <laughs> We're just in the podcast right here.
1: Um, yeah, I don't know many times where I've said no. I'm not talking to you. Um, <laughs> no. So when I broke my wrist, which I have a sweet scar from here oh. to there.
0: Yeah, if, for those who can't see, it All goes right. to the the thumb down to pretty much mid forearm.
1: And they did a pretty good job of protecting the tattoos. But they did. Um, but so when I broke it, I broke it into an S shape, closed fracture. Um, and it, the pictures look pretty gnarly. And um, as soon as I landed, I knew that I broke it. I didn't even have to see it yet. And I rolled over, and the first thing I did is I took a breath. And obviously, I learned a new technique of breathing. <laughs> so um, low, slow. And I took a breath, reached in my pocket, pulled out my phone so I could start taking pictures of it. I didn't roll around on the ground screaming. I didn't cry. Um, it hurt, but I continued to take a breath. Anytime that that pain would increase, I would take that breath. And, um, so of course they wanted to put an air splint on it. And as soon as they touched it, it was, excruciating pain i said just get that thing the fuck away from me i'll stabilize it i just i want to sit down because i'm still laying on the floor so we get up i sit down in the chair and i'm just breathing because people are coming in they're asking what happened i'm telling the story i'm still taking pictures of my wrist um priorities what's that priorities right right Um, well, and again, I wasn't hysterical and I didn't realize it until after the fact that I was actually using the breathing to control that pain. Um, I was just breathing the way that we had talked about in the program. And it was, I was relaxed. I was calm. I was able to answer questions until they gave me the ketamine. Once they gave me the ketamine game over, um, did not help with the pain. Uh, maybe loopy. There's a lot of things that I said that I don't remember saying, but what people told me, um, when they went to move me to the cot, they said that I was like, I can stand up. I don't need any help. I stood up and I was standing there and I said, I'm fucking going down boys. And two people caught me as I just passed out. Um, so they, I, came back to as the cot was lifting they took me out and to put me in the medic unit I remember thinking this is the longest hallway the hallway was only like 15 feet but it felt like it was a mile um again effects of the ketamine um getting the back of the medic I remember passing out again um and then obviously ended up going to the hospital and so I later found out that when that initial break happened, one of the guys that witnessed it sounded like, said it sounded like I fell off a 20 foot building and it was dropping a glass jar of mayonnaise. He said the noise, I said, well, I'm glad glad I didn't hear the noise because I probably would have freaked out then. Um, He said he knew without even turning around that it was probably broken when I did Mm -hmm. it. But uh, later on, one of the firefighters sent me a text message and said, Chief, you are hardcore because (laughs) I would have been crying like a little bitch if that happened to me. (laughs) And as I was sitting there, I was like, I didn't didn't cry. Like, that was weird because it hurt. And then I started thinking back and I was like, oh, I was breathing. Mm -hmm. And it's something that we talked about in the program but again I didn't get to experience it besides practicing it and I was kind of hesitant on the whole breathing thing because what I was taught at the VA about breathing was (laughs) breathe in for four seconds hold it for a second breathe out for four seconds do that like 10 times in a row yeah and I was like after about the third or fourth time, I was like, yeah, this is fucking stupid. I'm not doing this anymore. <laughs> have you practiced your breathing? Sure, I have. Thanks. Does it help? No. So, um, and then going to the program and explaining how to breathe and using the diaphragm and how it works and the um, breaking it down as far as your sympathetic, parasympathetic nervous system, I was like, well, this makes so much more sense. And having that paramedic background of understanding the right. nervous system made it easier for me to say, Oh, okay. Again, I've practiced it. Good. Okay. I get the, I get this, this is working, but actually using it during the instance when I broke my wrist and being able to keep calm and not rolling around on the ground, screaming and crying. Um, that's where it really made a lot of sense to me. Mm.
0: I, I was also. You mentioned the therapist. You know, hey, have you been doing your breathing exercise? God damn it! I've been breathing my whole life. I don't need to do fucking breathing <laughs> exercise. I fully get it. And
1: I, I, I practice waterboarding myself every.
3: Week. <laughs> 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 the,
0: the reason most therapists, in my opinion, I could be wrong. Somebody, please correct me. Um, the, the reason most therapists don't explain why it works and how it works because they don't fucking understand it their teacher was told by their professor was told by their instructor to do this and they're just regurgitating information with no context at all and you know what your therapist probably doesn't even fucking do it (laughs) right you want to know why i became a chiropractor because i broke myself self so many goddamn times i want to figure out how to fix myself you know why most therapists become therapists because they're fucking broken. They want to fix themselves. Most uh, therapists... I'm just going to say it. Fuck it. Most therapists are dealing with their own shit. Right. And uh, at least the ones I've ran into are not doing a very good job. There. I said it. Comments. (laughs) Flame on. Let's just bring that shit on.
2: Uh, 75 minutes in, Lance (laughs) drops the mic. We're done here. Um... I'm going to
0: wrap it up unless, John, I'll give you and Brian, any opportunity to say any last words. Uh,
2: my last point that uh, along the lines of what you were saying, Lance, uh, well, maybe not so much that, that <laughs> yeah, but, uh, but about that like, about the, the breath and what you guys were talking about, what, what, what I noticed in all this whole podcast, this whole conversation has been that uh, it, it's, you are a complex system as a human being. And your emotions are really important to, to focus on, your breathing and your body is really important to focus on, and then your actual tools and techniques and tactics for your actual job are really important to focus on. So um, for anybody out there, like <laughs> breathing is just as important as understanding what to do when you're in a, in a difficult mental health uh, space as it is to be really good at your job, at what you do so that you can support other people all these things are building a a framework for you to be successful across the board. So supporting yourself, supporting others. And Brian, you noted you mentioned this about like continuing education. Listen, even if you're, you're um, you don't have it provided for you, uh, your your insurance doesn't pay for it, whatever. There's, there's all kinds. Everybody's in a different uh, situation. I encourage everybody to find the best areas to improve across all these areas. So maybe it's, you just get a, you know, uh, a coach to teach you breathing. Maybe that's where you start. Um, add that to to some of the mental health stuff. All of a sudden you, you can breathe in a difficult situation like Brian, and now you can explain or at least share when you're having a difficult, uh, time in your life. So yeah, anyway, that's just what I wanted to bring up that, that, Brian naturally has been doing this over the years. He's been building this like toolbox, how to help himself and other people. And anybody out there can do this. Just a matter of, are you ready to change?
0: I'm going to add to that. It sounds like you're talking about investing in yourself.
2: Mm. I am.
0: <laughs> Anytime I've invested in my well being, I have, n- I'll go and say it. I've never been disappointed. Same Brian. Here. Last words, Brian.
1: Um, no, I appreciate the opportunity. Thank
0: thank you for coming on. Um it's always a pleasure talking to you. We can go down rabbit holes many time and We're gonna we're gonna avoid the rat, many rabbit holes.
2: Um Sean, Sean's not here, so we can a lot easier. <laughs>
0: um
1: uh, it doesn't matter if Sean's here. Yeah,
0: Brian's here. <laughs> um is, do you want people to find you? And if if you want people to find you, where can they find you?
1: As far as like we're talking like stalker stuff? <laughs>
0: I, hey, it's up to you, man. Some stalkers aren't bad. <laughs>
2: <laughs> um,
1: I, I have a Facebook account. Okay. Uh, people can reach out to me on Facebook. Um, obviously, anybody that feels that they need somebody to talk to or need um, kind of that information on how to get a peer support team started. Uh, I've shared our peer support, um, management plan or which would be a SOP for most people. Uh, I've shared our SOP, uh, our former wing commander had me developing a peer support program before COVID started, not for firefighters. He wanted Hmm. it for the base populace. So I created a PowerPoint that kind of, um, is an introduction to what peer support is and how to recognize things, how to start a conversation, uh, be an active listener. And it kind of describes a lot of that stuff. And then um, I have several pages of resources that I can provide because there are a lot of resources out there for veterans, non-veterans, first responders um, that realistically looking at some of that stuff just kind of reading like what they have on their page, especially on social media. Sometimes a quote is super awesome. It's like, huh, all right. I feel pretty good right now. Mm-hmm. And um, so a lot of those things and what I did is I took it to the next level because I am me. Um, I not only give you the name of the page or the resource for Facebook, Instagram, but I also screenshot it and put a little thumb. Uh, nail whatever picture of what the page looks like so that you can find it easier because uh, I don't know how many times people are like well what's this app you got where'd you get this app from what's that look like well mm-hmm. it's already taken care of it's on there so people want something like that they can reach out to me and I have no problem sending that stuff out because I think that it is important for the not only everybody's mental health but especially the first responder that deals with these type of events day in and day out, whether it's in their own personal life or going on calls, And it doesn't matter if you work at a busy department or not, it's what you get introduced to. And I think that that is, you might go on 16 calls a year, but out of those 16, you're on a busy highway and 12 of them are fatal crashes. That's a lot of tr- trauma for the human brain to try yeah. to look at like, wow, what am I supposed to do?
3: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
1: So to this day, if I smell bush light, I smell blood, um, mm-hmm. from a traumatic car wreck that I went on and I don't, I don't it's bush light anyways, I'm not going to drink that. But, um, if I, smell bush light, somebody drinking it i automatically get that scent of blood with it and it's just it's crazy how the mind does that
0: yeah uh so it sounds like you'd, you'd be willing if anybody wants to look more into peer support or are looking to set up a peer support system within their department they can reach out to you mm-hmm. cool And i have
1: alex i also have the um link on there to reach out to get the initial training as well
0: Cool. Um, so you guys heard it here. Reach out to Brian Weeks if you need any help with that. Brian, thank you for coming on. Everybody's still listening. We really appreciate it. And uh, we'll catch everybody on the other side.